Roderick Rocky Steinhauer is the founder of the Steinhauer Press, founded in 1950 in Lunenburg, Vermont. The press was in existence from 1950 until... Well, I sold it in uh, 1996 to an Irish group. It specialized in uh, limited edition books, fine art posters, elegant coffee table books, intricate scholarly books, and the like. Yes. I'd suggest that one of the reasons for its success was the manner in which it wedded traditional with new technology. Reading has never changed. Reading is at the end of your arms, and um, your eyes are pretty much the same as they've always been. It's usually been linear. Some, Some languages it goes up and down, but I mean it's linear in one way or another, and and has been linear in all ways, as a matter of fact, from all points of the compass. So I think that uh, as much knowledge as you can bring to making a book today, with today's tools and resources available, the more knowledge of what it is and what it does and what it's for and how it's going to make its own way in the world and why we're printing it, why it's going to be important, you can make that book a lot more useful. I was always interested in making books useful. Your list there mentions scholarly uh, books. Uh, A lot of books were scholarly books and contained uh, information that was very valuable to a small group of people at least, and it had to be uh, correct. Correctness was one of the most important aspects of, of uh, putting print on paper. The correctness in the sense of being accurate with the placement of words, because yeah. you get one or two words wrong with some important research, and it maybe throws off the whole meaning. Exactly. Someone's going to use that to supply a lack of what they know, and they're going to know it from your book, and are they going to know it right, or going to know it wrong, so to speak. So in other words, one of the reasons for your success was your reputation for quality control. Oh, yes. Driven by this market that you developed. Exactly. They knew that we would give them the product that they needed and wanted to have. Right. For instance, proofreading and copy editing which was a big uh, area back in those days, preparing typewritten material usually for, uh, for print. But before the typesetter, we had to make sure that it was correct from the beginning, and we spent a lot of time on, on editing, actually. Now, not many printers do. I was going to say, yeah. But uh, we were not like many printers. You're, you provided a, a variety of different services around the actual printing of the book. I, I provided all the ser- services that you would need to produce a scholarly book. The reason for, for my success in that area, which I had, is that when I started out uh, in the 1950s, I, I had an idea of a small, learned press. That was my vision. And it came at a very good time, because at that time, uh, after the war, university presses were doing away with their own printing offices. Usually a a university press always had a printing office with them. And the University Press of Toronto, for instance, had a great printing Mm -hmm. plant. 
yeah. with it. And all of them did. But they couldn't sustain that because the university presses, which thrived back uh, in the 1920s and on up until the, uh, after the war, were beginning to drop off because they couldn't uh, maintain, put the capital into it, the plants that they needed for new technologies which were coming forth. New offset. New, new offset, new type, a lot of new typographic material was coming in, new typesetting machines, faster, better. These were letterpress, so that I was going to be the, the university press. For all the universities, or as many as you could get. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Obviously, you've seen some sort of a trend. I can't say that I really saw a trend, but I, I could see that something was happening there. Uh, and the kind of press that I wanted was the kind of press that uh, Yale had and Harvard had and Princeton. And I used to visit those uh, plants uh, early on to study how they were made up and what constituted them. So that that was my model. model. Now, they still have the presses, but they don't do the printing themselves. That's right. They're publishing presses, right. not printing presses. So uh, that was a big field for us. Yeah, you were working yes. toward uh, collaborating yes. and replacing the actual hard printing. Yes. Uh, university presses were big customers of ours. You bought the existing printing company from... Uh, Bisbee Press. ...from Mr. Bisbee's wife yeah. after he died. Yes. And he died shortly before you graduated from... Yes, he did. He died uh, as winter turned into spring. Yeah. And uh, it was a great shock to us. Yeah. Yeah. And so you took over partly with your own ambitious visions to, to uh, convert the press into... Well, I knew that that was what I was going to do with my life. Which is and a gift uh, in itself, isn't it? When you're that yes, sure. Yes, it is. It, yes, it, it is. I'm glad you put it that way. What a gift that is to uh, know at the at, at a young age. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I, it I gave me a life. I was able to build a life on that. And I I suggest that's why you were so successful. Is you 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 knew this was perfect fit for who you were. Yes. I would suggest too then that part of your success had to do with your personality. Oh, I think probably, yes, it did. I think to build something, as I had to build it from the ground up, one of the most important things is the people that you're going to have build that with you, because in a scholarly printing house, it's a teamwork. It's everybody has a particularly difficult job to do, and everybody's difficult little job has got to work just right to fit the whole. I took the uh, attitude that there was nobody more important than anybody else in that segment because I was in the Navy and aboard ship. I mean, if one person didn't do their job, the whole ship was in jeopardy. So my, my business model was the junior officer's manual for the, the Navy. Isn't that great? Yeah. And in that, in that model, the man at the top, there has to be one. You have a tremendous responsibility. 
for everybody under your command, so to speak. So I had that in my mind always, that uh, I had to uh, look after the crew. I mean, I was responsible for them. Yeah. In a sense, there's a, there's a sort of a family then. It, yes. One of the things that again strikes me is that the, the reason for its success is perhaps be, because this field so fit you, you were able to go out and sell it with supreme confidence and enthusiasm. Yes, that's true, but even more importantly, I think, I recognized the need for my uh, associates, the people. Uh, and being uh, located where we were, I had to find people who uh, could be comfortable and wanted country living close, closer to nature, so to speak, uh, who also were, were literate people, I mean, were educated, that had, had the skills or had the possibility of obtaining the skills that they had to get uh, for us all to make this thing work. Who is your most important hire, do you think? I think uh, probably everybody that knows, knew the Steinar Press well thought that my most important hire was uh, Freeman Keith. And uh, the reason that they thought him most uh, important is because uh, I think I probably felt that position was most important myself. And what position was that? Well, I thought some skills for design, for the and uh, and the understanding of the physical nature of the book and its materials and uh, so on. I was steeped in in the history of the book and its development and so on and so forth. I was a poor speller. I didn't have a real grounding in English language. Or grammar. Or, or any other language. Uh, I had the visual skills that were necessary, but I didn't have those, uh, that knowledge or, or, or the skills with the English language. And of course, we were, most of our work was done in English, although we used a lot of other languages too. But I needed to have somebody that was a skilled uh, language person. I knew that I could not do this without that person. So I was looking for him. And when he came in the door, I recognized him immediately. And I always used to tell Freeman, I said that I knew I knew him before he came to the press, before I ever saw him. I knew him. Isn't that interesting? You know, what, yeah. what that reminds me of is yeah. what T.S. Eliot said about great poems. You encounter them. There's some something beyond the actual words. Mm-hmm. You understand it, or you know you know it prior to uh, something resonates. Uh, yeah. yeah, I w- wouldn't have expected that at all. I would have expected you to say I hired the best pressman that I could find. But he, he was an editor. Yes. Well, he he actually he was a pressman also. Uh, he was a classics graduate from uh, Harvard University. But he wanted to work with his hands. He wanted to do something. He wanted to live in the country. So it's a perfect combination. He, he had a job over in Montpelier, working in, uh, when he graduated. He graduated, I think, in, in uh, 1950, the same year I did. 
he married right after graduation. He and his wife came up into Vermont because they wanted country living. He wanted to do something with his hands. Well, what if you uh, if you're a language person and you want to do something with your hands? What better thing than printing? My God, they're made for each other, you know. So he he was coming printing. He, he was a an apprentice over in the Leahy Printing Company. Right now, uh, in uh, in American politics, Pat Leahy is a very big man. Particularly, he was in the uh, all the hearings uh, for our recent uh, Supreme Court nominee, so on. He's chairman of that committee. Well, his father was printer, and Freeman learned to print over there. But he, uh, Freeman knew that he wanted something greater than ballots and commercial posters and mm-hmm. stuff, he, because he was a literary person. And, yeah. uh, it's, an, and it's an interesting, uh, unusual combination, which yeah. an unusual combination, often yeah. the printer is, yeah. is not literate. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's mechanical, but it, it's and it demands a lot of you. It's a uh, it's a calling. We we felt it was a calling that demanded a lot of us. We had to learn a lot, and we never ceased learning. We were always learning something every day. As far as that goes, it's a great place. To, the printing office is a great place to learn things because you've got all kinds of knowledge flowing through your hands. You know. Well, particularly day. a learned press. Yes. Yeah. Freeman, if, if you want to put it that way, Freeman probably was, uh, because he was so essential to it, but uh, oh, everybody else was, uh, was very important. And for a, n- for a number of years, maybe four or five, um, I didn't hire anybody unless they had been in the U.S. Navy. I was a fighter pilot, spent four years in the Navy, and all those four years was intense training all the time. I don't know, I just had a feeling that if, if somebody knows this grounding, then they can, they're going to understand me, and I think we're going to get along great. What grounding exactly? Well, my understanding of uh, the relationships you have to develop in order to work in a technically uh, difficult uh, situation. Uh, you can't really uh, a printing office. You can't uh, compare that to the intricacies and so on and dangers of a of a uh, carrier. But still, there are uh, deadlines, uh, aren't there? There's uh, yes, and there's, there's everything there. The same, yeah. There is uh, there's understanding that has to be passed from one to another. It has to click. It has to work. Then, if it doesn't work, then there's a problem. Yeah, big problem. You all have to speak the same language. Yeah. yeah. You all have to have the same sense of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have to do it. That's it. So it sounds like uh, you learned as much from him as he may have learned from oh, you. Oh, I, uh, I always learn more. more. Um, I, um, my feeling was that... Um, if somebody wasn't smarter than I was, I mean, they shouldn't be working here, you know. I mean, it, uh, uh, I could supply certain things. I, I supplied the vision and the, 
a drive, so to speak. But um, uh, I had to have a lot of very uh, able and intelligent people. Yeah. And that, that was the, the secret of it. And we had to, because uh, we had to live together up here. I always used to say that uh, when uh, when we go home at night, we just don't shut up the doors and everybody jumps in their vehicle and heads off to someplace else. We go to the same uh, grocery stores, we go to the same churches, our kids are in the same schools, we're part of the same communities, we're on the school boards and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's a... It has to be a community too. There has to be a, something of, uh, of, a, of that kind of unity here. And I think that I think the uh, because um, we we what we brought what we were interested in we brought ourselves. I mean we we were interested in living in country life, but we had to also had have intellectual stimulus and things. So we. Um, so that that had to count for, for something. something. Yeah. yeah. I'm speaking with uh, Rocky Steinauer, the founder of the Steinauer Press, which uh, was in business uh, from 1950 to 1996, before being purchased by an Irish printing company. It must have been all sorts of fun to get out, and then once you'd assembled this team, to sell the services of this team to to universities across yes. the country because yes. these are really intelligent people as well yes yeah I was the uh, I was the chief uh, salesman and um, so did you travel all over the states oh yes yeah oh and I went to uh, I went to Great Britain I had a customer in Paris for 10 years so I had to go to Paris that's tough <laughs> I had to go where my customers were I spent uh, a great deal of my time in uh, Boston and New York and Chicago and Dallas and uh, Baltimore and Washington and uh, you know California. I went. I went where the books were, and also I uh, went where the bookmen were. I joined all the bookish and bibliographic uh, societies and clubs and. Uh, so on, and I was the, uh, you know, each uh, university library has a group of friends. Oh, yes. I began to uh, give talks on the making of the book, and colonial printer, and various other things, printing things, and because uh, these groups were always looking for speakers, so um, I could supply that, and that, then I would be with people who were book people. Promoting your services. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that was my uh, sales plan. Yeah. I mean, you, you have focused on the quality of these books, even though when you think of it, well, why should a scholarly book be a book that's so well made? Some people think that, uh, that we're making the book beautiful. We're not making the book beautiful. We're making the book useful. You're making the book so well that it that it last for a long time. Well, yes, we use good materials. Uh, yes, we, that's one factor. But also that um, in in typographic design, it's 
so on, there's a lot of uh, elements there that nobody sees. I've always emphasized the fact that if we do our job, nobody knows anything happened. <laughs> I mean, because it's just perfect. <laughs> it's just everything just works right. It's e it's easy to look up. It's a uh, it you know mechanically it works. Yeah. Now you're talking uh, about the design here as much as anything. Yes. Oh yeah. yes. Design is uh, is crucial. Which which is as you mentioned earlier is it's unusual. So we're not really talking about your typical fine book printer because you're you're basically selling the whole package. That's right, and that's what the university press did. And that's probably what the academic wants, too. They yes. don't want to have to deal with a whole bunch of different no. people. No. What we got was a pile of typescript. What we gave them was complete book. We did everything. We did the whole thing, the whole package, so to speak. Yeah. So once you delivered that book and people saw this, obviously word of mouth yes. helped you. Yes. But you then uh, got the reputation for, first of all, delivering the whole package, but second of all, for quality. Were there were there a few books that sort of broke open another market for you that you'd produced? I think that I think there were quite a lot. We used to say that our books, you know, sold other books, which they did, of course. But we also uh, submitted our books uh, to the American Institute of Graphic Arts every year, and they had uh, a, a competition that they called 50 Books of the Year. For a number of years, we always had several winners, sometimes six or seven books in that uh, in there. And uh, we are in the New England Book Show and in other competitions of various sorts. Yeah. We used that to give us a little talking point or to get, get that kind of attitude and reputation out there. Going from the scholarly, though, which I would assume is primarily textual and perhaps some line drawings. No, no, there was, uh, there were a lot, uh, it textual, of course, but a lot of illustrations. A color, for color? Yes. Okay. Very careful color, because uh, we did, for instance, uh, we're working for museums, we're printing a, a catalog for uh, a Leonardo da Vinci show. Drawings and paintings and other things that he's done, the colors have to be right on. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. have to be very carefully done in order to represent those works of art. Yeah, how did you do that? Like the, Again, that's one of your reputations, being, yes. being the printer who could most faithfully reproduce the originals. Yes. How did you do that? Well, it came out of failure, actually because for a number of years, early years, four or five early years, when I began to get into this, this area, and I was trying to reproduce by letterpress, print letterpress plates of uh, artworks and so on. Well, one of the things you had to do in letterpress printing is you had to use coated paper. You couldn't use book paper because you needed that very carefully calendared and shiny surface, fine. And you had to use metal plates, half-tone plates. And I found out that no matter what I did, I could not do it well enough. So you I just never satisfied. I, I was not satisfied. I was not producing the best. Yeah. But there was somebody producing 
the best. And it was a little company down in Connecticut called the Meriden Gravure Company. They were producing the best. So finally, when I couldn't do it, I had to join them. <laughs> so that's what we did. You established a partnership or you involved them? Well, we established a partnership, yes. And what was it that they had? Well, they had a different process. In the first place, they had a process called the collotype process. And we don't want to go into that no. now. <laughs> but um, it was a screenless uh, process that uh, gave very fine reproduction to uh, works, particularly black and white works. Then they developed, during the war, some very fine, fine screen work because they were working for the United States Map Service during the war and they had to develop better ways of printing things, which they did for accuracy and, and various other things that they could do with color. And they had this collotype process and they were always trying to make their offset printing look like their collotype printing, get the uh, really luscious blacks and uh, whites and the and the middle tones just right. So anyway, they developed a lot of techniques for uh, printing illustrations. They didn't do any, didn't print type. They didn't print. So it's a nice yeah. wedding then, isn't it? Yes. That's another key element in what we were doing. We had to have what, what they were doing, and they had to have what I was doing yeah. to make the book complete. And that year was? Well, it started, I think, in the 50s, and it just burgeoned. And uh, pretty soon, we were not married, but we were in bed together anyway. Naughty. Naughty, but nice. Uh, I was down there a lot to be on press with their different things, and uh, they, they came up here. And uh, they put me on their board of directors when I became a corporation. Uh, I put their head man on my board. And so we had a very close working relationship. And then uh, finally we uh, bought them out. By combining the best of every element that we could is, and keeping it that way, was the way that we made, a, made our way. We'll stay up here in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah on your terms. Yeah. I'm speaking with uh, Rocky Steinhauer, who's the founder of the Steinhauer Press, out of uh, Lunenburg, Vermont, active from 1950 to 1996. One of the things that I found interesting in reading about the company was that you actually, in speaking of uh, press uh, proofing, you actually invited customers to stay with you, near you, I guess, while the actual proofing uh, took place. Oh, yes. That again helped with the end product. Yes, it did. We had the people who generated the material for the, that wanted the press, the book anyway, to come. Yeah. Oh yes, we uh, we always wanted our customers to come up. There's a nice excuse for them to come out to the countryside yes, too. Yes, they could come out to the country. We could have country meals, and we could uh, show them our wildlife. Not the not our wild nightlife, but uh, yeah. uh, the moose and the deer, and you know, and all sorts of things. So again, the whole thing in life uh, is really relationships. And so anything that uh, strengthens and develops makes relationships work together. I mean, that's that's when you get your best work, yeah. working together. 
uh, each one of us uh, giving what we've got and getting more from this person and learning something here and you know one of the problems I think that in, in recent years in the last decade or two though maybe it's because there's less money around but that there isn't so much loyalty every business manual will tell you this that relationship marketing and developing a good rapport is, mm. is essential yeah but but I mean, selling on quality and relationship, if your price is... Not competitive. No, we, we were up against that, of course. As you were saying, I mean, you're, you, can't ma- you can't maintain your relationships by charging people more money. Yeah. Because uh, they can't, they, in their responsibilities, they have to... Uh, Justify it. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, in, in winding down... Um, I wonder if you could just reflect on the highs and lows of your experience as the founder and operator of a highly regarded press. Um, I'm not sure that I can do that, actually. Um, At this point in my life, anyway, um, uh, when I look back on it, as uh, I do, I can't find any low points. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I know they were there. Uh, I mean, every business has them, and uh, we had we had ours. And sometimes I remember a little story that I've told before. Yeah. One evening I was I got out of work at the press, and I was sitting on the steps there. And of course, our dwelling is just across the yard from the press in the barn. My wife was uh, waiting for me to come over for supper, and she looked out and she saw I was kind of sitting there with my head in my hands, and so she came over and sat down and said, everything okay? And I said, well, you know, I don't think it is. I said, I, we're not getting anywhere. I said, I've been at this for 15 years, and I said, we have, we had a big family. Eight kids, right? Yeah, I said we have we have a big family to uh, look after, and uh, we're just not getting anywhere. And uh, I think I should, you know, really go out and get a job. And she said, "What are you talking about?" She said, "For heaven's sake, Artie, it's only been 15 years. What do you expect? Something's going to happen overnight?" I mean, my God, you look at what you're doing. It's going, it's going great, you know. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, that's the kind of support. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't really talked about that, but isn't it? It's yeah. just the case. It sounds like you picked just the right career, but you uh, you picked the right partner too. No question about that. She and I went to high school together, and I actually knew in, when I was in high school that I was going to marry her. She didn't. Uh, I don't think she probably liked me too much, but anyway, I knew. <laughs> I, I always tell her, you have to have the uh, the right uh, things have to be right. Final question: We're in this studio that your your son and is operating, and you've sort of evolved into more of a consulting firm. Is that is that right? I've described it as a virtual printing plant. The place operates with just Steve and a couple of helpers, but he can produce uh, some of the finest museum books in the country, and he is doing it. As soon as he has a a contract, 
particularly book, he puts a team together. He gets a designer. He often gets me. Today, everybody is a freelance operator, so he can quickly assemble a team of very high-end group of people. And they go to work on this, and they're doing it over the computer, and sometimes he's printing in Japan and other, other places. I mean, it's, it's amazing that the speed and the accuracy that you can tailor-make each group for each job. Yes, he's noted for that. Being able to pick the right yeah. personnel, just like you did uh, yes. 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're surrounded by, by books that I assume you've printed. What a wonderful physical legacy for you. It is, if you love books. <laughs> it's, it's terrific. But they're going to last a lot longer than you are. Well, I think so. If they don't, uh, there's something wrong with the world because their materials are much more able to stand whatever they have to stand in mind. So, yeah. I like the idea that there's evidence that I was around. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Your great-great-great-great-grandchildren will be able to see what you did. Yeah. All my family is in one way or another. Some of them very directly are involved in uh, books uh, in one way or another, teaching or having an actual design studio. And my son, Christopher, has a design studio out in uh, Berkeley, California. So they're all uh, kind of bookish people, and that gives us a great bond, very, sure. uh, which is, uh, is very nice. Any particular book that has more meaning for you than others? I've always resisted saying each one. Like like you don't want to uh, favor yeah. any one child over the others? It's, it's something like that, but also I can't really, I can't, I couldn't do it. I don't think I could do it, because I'll go to the shelf and pick off a book, and I'll see something. And I didn't think maybe too much about it at the time. I knew it was a good book, but now when I look at it, God, this thing is really, this is really good, you know? Yeah. This yeah. is really good. So, uh, no, I, uh, I can't answer that question. <laughs> no regrets whatsoever. No, no. I did probably a lot of stupid things in my life, but I think I've uh, been able to forget what they are. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to us about this wonderful company, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you so much.